We're in our series titled Journey of Faith. Last week, Pastor John shared through Jesus Christ, our lives are rescued out of original sin and drawn or wooed into relationship with God through His grace. Today, we're going to examine means of grace. God helps us through this means of grace to stay on course and reach our destination. What's our destination? What's our goal? To love profoundly, to be holy, and to reach heaven. You shouldn't allow yourself to drift on those things. Whenever you're doing something, I believe method matters. When we're growing up, we wanted to often cut corners or cheat on the method of doing things. But method does matter. That's why your math teacher told you to show the work on that math problem. It's why your mom made you scrub behind your ears. That's why my dad always inspected the horse's stall after I shoveled all that horse dung out of it. The method of the work has a goal. It has a destination, and method does matter. Let's be honest. When we're growing in our faith, sometimes maybe we think that that method doesn't matter, doesn't make sense to us. Hebrews talks about the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And a lot of times we don't like that testing. But it does. It does help to be tested. We might say, oh, what if I don't want that testing? But it helps us test the perseverance that we have. Do you remember the movie The Karate Kid? Daniel was being trained by Mr. Miyagi. And Daniel was getting a little fed up with the methods. He gets mad at how Mr. Miyagi is working him to death, waxing the cars, sanding the floor, painting the fence and the house. And when it comes to the training for karate, Mr. Miyagi, he knows what he is doing. Let's look at this video together.
I love that clip. All the work that Daniel did had a destination. It was Mr. Miyagi's way of practice. Wax and block. Sand. Paint. Defense. He was learning the whole time. And I believe God works like that to sanctify us through our practices or our circumstances or our challenges or our trials. And the work takes place within us. Method matters. You should expect me to say that. After all, I am a United Methodist pastor. We're all about method. Do you know the history behind the term Methodist? Here's the deal. John Wesley and Charles, his brother, were at the University of Oxford in England, and they started this accountability group that would meet three to four evenings each week to discuss the scriptures, to discuss books they've been reading, to confess their sins to one another, and celebrate Holy Communion together. But that's not all. Out of it, they developed a system of feeding the poor, visiting people in prison, teaching orphans to read. And members of this group, they were serious about their faith. They were serious about a life of holiness, of heart and life and practice. And out of the scripture, they were drawn to these methods. However, their peers were not impressed. They mocked them. They called them the holy club. I think you'd get beat up for joining something like that. They were also called Bible moths. That's just weird. That would be some really bad stamping for us, wouldn't it, if we were called Bible moths? But Methodists were the term that these guys embraced for everything. And this, this is no joke. This was a poem that was written about them. Check it out. This was written by their peers. By rule they eat, by rule they drink. By rule they do all things but think. Accuse the priests of loose behavior to get more in the layman's favor. Method alone must guide them all when themselves Methodists they call. You see, that term Methodist was originally used as an insult, but Wesley bore it as a, as a badge of honor. And he realized that methods matter. Practices for the spiritual matters. If you want good results, you have to put effort into things. And we have to remember we're not trying to do this to earn our salvation, but we're trying to live like Jesus and do the practices of Jesus Christ, as we see in the scriptures also with the early believers. It's what God calls us to do. And Methodists practiced something they called means of grace, channels of God's grace in their lives. And means of grace are, are sacred moments when Christ is represented or becomes present to us anew each day. Means of grace are always ways to sanctify or make our lives holy. It's like daily house cleaning for our souls, for our minds, for our hearts. And we can experience these means of grace through the sacrament of, of baptism that, that celebrates our initiation into the faith and through holy communion and through our practices of the six habits at Anderson Hills. What are our six habits? Well, the first is what you're doing now. We're worshiping together. 
Also participating in a small group, giving generously of resources, spending time with God, and serving in ministry and sharing faith. All these habits and practices, they are good for the soul. They lift us up. Wesley wrote about this in his sermon, Means of Grace. Listen to what he says. He says, Christ has ordained certain outward means for conveying grace into the souls of people. Their constant practice set this beyond all dispute. For so long as all that believed were together and had all things in common, they continually, steadfastly, endeavored to experience the teaching of the apostles and the breaking of bread in prayers. Wesley goes on. He says, but in the process of time, the love of many waxed cold, meaning that their heart grew cold by lack of doing that. Some began to mistake the means for the end as well and to place religion rather than doing outward works, rather than a heart renewed after the image of God. They forgot that the end of every commandment is love, are of pure heart, and our faith unfeigned. The loving of the Lord their God with all their heart and their neighbor as themselves, and being purified from pride, anger, evil desire, and by a faith of the operation of God. He preached this. And the things we practice, my friends, they are a means to the end, which is our righteousness for the righteousness of God working in us. So God does these small surgeries in our life through the means of grace. For example, Wesley highlighted in a sermon, Malachi 3, 7. It says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In this passage, God is calling out Israel from their failure to tithe, which is one of God's foundational methods that he uses to grow our faith in God and our trust in God. God is saying, return to that practice, my people. And Wesley saw tithing as a means of grace, as tithing is a small test that happens. Wesley warned that throughout history, some people have mistaken the means as an end and have used the means of grace as if it was grace itself. This is called works righteousness, which is trying to do things to earn God's pleasure. Look at me, God. Look at me. No. We love. We do everything out of love and in that relationship of love with God. In John Wesley's day, many pastors were placing sanctification or holy living before justification, saying yes to God and being saved and forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice. But that's backwards. It makes as much sense as trying to clean off yourself before you get into the shower. When people come to Jesus, they're supposed to be sinful. They're supposed to be caught in these sins. And Christ comes and says, come to me and I'll show you the rhythms of holiness through the ministry of the word and my own Holy Spirit. That's why we say welcome to everyone who comes to Anderson Hills. And God knows that if there are high standards to come to Jesus, none of us would make it, would we? 
We welcome people who are exploring Christ or are just not even in, in touch with God, all the way to people who have a passion oozing for God out of them. We welcome everybody. You see, justification is done for us. Sanctification is done in us. Jesus died for us, and that means of grace work in our lives to transform us into new creations, into dynamic people of holiness who live life in the extraordinary. In justification, we receive healing and forgiveness from the sins, but also in sanctification is done in, at, in us in the work that God does. Listen to what Jesus said about this, and listen to this prayer that he prayed for you and for me as his followers. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them in your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that, they, that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into, world, into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Did you catch the specifics of what's going on here about what Jesus prays for you and me? He prayed that a full measure of joy would be given to us, protection from the evil one, and above all, sanctification by truth found in God's word. And when we practice that alone and we practice that together, it does incredible things when we go into the world as the word and the spirit lives through us. To sanctify is to set apart. To make holy. And it's a two-way street of holiness as we do the practices of what God has teached us through the scripture and what we have here in community in Christ together at Anderson Hills. And then there's the part of God that he ministers and works in us. And when we grow in sanctifying grace, we grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's a process. Method matters, my friends. It's like taking a trip from New York to California. It just doesn't happen in an instant, and you don't meander your way there. It takes a long time, and it takes effort. There are turns. There are tolls. When you put the address into your GPS, into your phone, or to your car, it always calculates and calculates, doesn't it? What if you get off the exit? It's always trying to pull you back on to that exit. It's saying, stay away from Wendy's and those double cheeseburgers and fries. No, it's saying, get back on the path. Take the road. And eventually that route comes back. It doesn't meander. Folks, God gives us that route. It's a way of sanctification. It's our journey of faith. And we need to stay on that course together. Here's the deal. Wesley taught that we must not overemphasize process because that gives us an excuse to continually put off the work of growth. It's like saying to yourself time and time again, the diet starts tomorrow. This is a tragic mistake because I want to tell you God's gift, God's gifts are available right now. Why are you waiting? 
I'm talking about today. A peace that you can, that you can have today. A hope that can carry you through the darkest of nights. A forgiveness for sin, for a purpose deeper than our own, than that temporary entertainment. If you aren't getting serious about your faith, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting maybe till retirement or waiting until, you know, this or this or that or this day happens? If you aren't getting serious with your faith, what are you waiting for? None of us know how much time we'll have. Why not experience it now? These good things of God. You know, as a pastor, I, I bury people every year that I'm totally shocked at doing their funeral. Every year. Now, I'm not saying you're next, but if we're all honest, we don't know when that day is going to happen. We don't know our timeline. Why not have this intersect right now? Salvation is today, my friends. Why not have that now? You see, a key part of Wesley's method was to have people join small groups. In fact, all who responded to the Methodist ways and Wesley's messages, they were automatically put into a group. Why? Because they knew that you couldn't do life alone. That's why we emphasize the habit of meeting together with other believers. Listen to what Wesley said. He said, holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. In other words, you can't be a lone ranger Christian. That's like saying you can be a good husband who is often faithful to his wife. Social holiness means watching over each other in love and accountability. We grow better together in holiness. You can't do life alone. In early Methodists, like I said, everyone was in a group. And the first type of groups that they met together was called class meetings, which had 7 to 12 people. It was co-ed, married, single, together, divided by geography because it was tough to travel back then. They were concerned with the soul, and they used the word prosper. It signaled the passion of the early Methodists coming together so that people would, they would see evidence of people thriving and growing in faith. And it worked. The class meeting was the most basic requirement for membership in the early, especially American Methodism. If you missed your class meeting three times per quarter, you were removed from Methodism. You could rejoin if you're willing to recommit. The threshold was low to become a member, but it was high to remain a member. Now, I'm not saying we're going to start pulling memberships from you guys. We're not going to do that. But they took that serious. You know, it was actually against the rules of the Church of England, the state church, to meet in small groups like this. They would fine you. The Church of England would fine you for doing this because they wanted the education to come from the top down. Early Methodists, they took courageous risks to do things that would help them grow in their faith. The second type of group was called a band meeting. It's a bit of an old English term, like band of brothers, not a musical band. It was a serious accountability for four to five people divided by gender and maybe marital status. 
The questions they asked each week was, what temptations have you faced? How were you delivered? What have you thought, said, or done that might have been sin? Do you have anything that you're trying to keep secret? They dug in. They got tough with the questions. Their theme verse was James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. An earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You see, folks, confession is not for the sake of shaming or beating down or beating ourselves up, but for accountability, which can lead to holiness. Early Methodists had an incredibly profound optimism about what God's grace can do within a person. And there's nothing that can separate us from that love and grace from God. And there's nothing that we can fi- cannot find that can release us from keeping our life in God and that call that God desires to do in us. You know, 12-step groups are somewhat like band meetings. Our life groups can do this as well in that right setting. Maybe you can pick two or three or four people from your life group to do something like this with. Or one accountability partner just that you can confess to and pray with and seek God's guidance and bounce some things off of each other. Is this too invasive? It's just a practice that we have. Methodists had a a system, a method for rooting out sin. And uh, folks, it worked. Our country was transformed by the first and second great awakening. It led to massive revival and changed the systems in society. And these class and band meetings, they were a key part of that movement. Do you know back then one out of every eight people was a United Methodist, was a Methodist in practice and called themselves Methodists. Sadly, many of us have gotten away from these kinds of relationship. And I think you could see the effects of it. We want to be generic about our sin because it's painful to be honest. Confession is a matter of dealing with the now what. The only way forward when you have sinned is to tell the truth and to turn away from that sin and begin to walk with God anew. We do this, we find renewed hope. We find healing. We find the words of Charles Wesley as as he writes, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. And I believe that happens from confession. You know, I think we're more fearful of others finding out that we sin than we are the effects of sin in our lives. That in itself shows that we are full of pride and sin. I meet with Kevin Connors, Mark Putman, and Carrie Wood every Wednesday morning at 8.30 at Mount Moriah Church. We share the current state of our souls. That's the first question. How is it with my soul? And we begin to pour out. We share our struggles and our successes And then how might the Spirit and Scriptures be speaking to our lives? And two more questions that dig deeper. Like I mentioned before, do you have any sin you want to confess? Are there any secrets or hidden things you would like to share? And sometimes we do that. 
After we share, we individually pray for each other. I want to tell you, besides Holy Communion and meeting with God alone, this is the biggest means of grace for me. This is the way that I thrive. My band just brings forth a power to me. And I leave thinking of of higher realities of myself from just hearing my brothers in this band. And I, like I said, I always leave leave uplifted. Also, it's just really a great sleep medication for me. I go with a clean conscience. I believe the church needs to get smaller before it gets larger. We have to meet together in order to persevere. Listen to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. This is from the voice translation. So my friends, Jesus by his blood gives us courage to enter the most holy place. He has created for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. Since we have a great priest who presides over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts full of faith, with hearts rinsed clean of any evil conscience and with body cleansed with pure water. Let us hold strong to the confession of our hope, never wavering, since the one who promised it to us is faithful. Let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and righteous deeds, not forgetting to gather as a community, as some have forgotten, but encouraging each other, especially as the day of his return approaches. That's such beautiful spiritual dynamite for us. Do you believe it? Do you want to live that? I know I want to. I want to be all in God that these methods show me. God's methodical way of operating on Jonathan 24-7. It's antiseptic for the soul. What steps do you need to take to experience God's grace in your life? What new or renewed means of grace do you need to experience? Do you need accountability? Do you need to join a band or a class? Do you need to draw near and listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance? You see, God wants to transform your life, my friends. Use the means of grace with a spirit of humility to seek God and to know God more. Amy Tomlinson is our adult discipleship director, and you can contact the church office and she would be happy. I see her get thrilled about having people connect and she connecting people to bands and other means of growth. In April 21st, 1980, Rosie Ruiz from Cuba crossed the finish line with the Boston Marathon at a time of 2 hours and 31 minutes and 56 seconds. That was time good enough to win the women's division and be the third fastest female to finish that marathon time in history. It was an incredible, almost too good to be true type of act. She wasn't even sweaty as the other runners and seemed to have an incredible kick at the end of the race. After the interview, she said, I just woke up and I had this extra energy today, I guess. However, when she was asked about various parts of the race, she was unable to remember the specifics. Other front runners, don't, they didn't remember seeing her. But two Harvard students saw her. 
They, were, they saw her jump into the race as from a spectator into a race participant, just a half mile remaining in the race. She was a cheater. Her title was stripped from her. You see, we can't have any shortcuts to actually, we can't do that in order to accomplish things. You can't just run 26 of a marathon. You have to run the 25 before that. Train. Method matters, my friends. And you just can't show up and have a spiritual life. You have to put the work into it and then watch what God does. God desires to work in and through these means of grace. And we have to practice them. Stay on course, my friends. I'm reading a book by Smith Wigglesworth, Manifesting the Power of God. Listen to what he says. God first, last, alpha to omega, beginning and the end. He is at the root of all things. He will disturb that which needs to be disturbed. He will unfold that which needs unfolded. He will turn to death that which needs to be broken and put to death. He will put a spring within thee and lift thee to life. God will deal with thee in mercy but in severity because all divine love is a sword and divides asunder sword and spirit, joint and marrow, and deals with the inward desires of the heart. I refuse to be an ordinary person, he writes. You say, why do you? Because I have an extraordinary God who makes extraordinary people. Folks, stay the course. Experience the extraordinary living through the practice of God's means of grace. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray that you would lead and guide us in the ministry of your means of grace in the church, Lord. May we put into practice realizing that method matters as we practice that together as a community of faith here at Anderson Hills. Bless this ministry and bless our lives as we grow in grace as set apart and holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.